Good afternoon and welcome to the Pokeball Podcast. I'm Tyler, also known as Bellyball VGC. Here with my co-host Chris and Titan Nexus. Today's special guest is Aberin, also known as Brian Kim. Today we'll be discussing the Portland Regionals, mental health and ADHD in VGC. Uh, all three of us have ADHD or ADD, and so we can really kind of speak on the issue. So Brian, you competed in Portland. Um, I know it's a couple weeks after now, and we're in the middle of Hartford going on, um, but I, I'm still really interested in discussing the meta. We didn't get a dive in very much, and um, you know, talking with someone who got a firsthand experience, that very diverse meta, I think you're a great person to talk to. Um, you had a very interesting team. Uh, so are there any memorable teams that you battled or like any situations in Portland that you would like to discuss and go back over with us here today? See, So in terms of um, memorable teams, I can't think of any from the top of my head, but I can check my notes while I talk about it. But one thing I do want to uh, mention for sure is that when it comes to the West Coast of the U.S. in particular, there's typically very interesting teams that are different from the rest of the country. And I also think that just generally has to do with um, the fact that it's a much smaller scene here. And so there's a lot more experimentation that occurs. And compared to the East Coast, there's just like way more players. And I think because of that, when you have more competition, you have to play much more consistent teams. And so when you um, have that situation, you're going to typically go with teams that have a proven track record and then maybe make some slight adjustments that help you, um, you know, just get that edge over the other like common strategies. But then, yeah, that in Portland, we definitely saw that West Coast mentality where everybody just likes to really experiment, try different things, um, be really creative. And uh, we clearly, for example, saw that with Nails or Nick Nevair, uh with the Specs Bundle. And uh, I tried this out for a bit in the beginning of uh, Series 2, and I think it's very fun. I don't know if it's great. And he did confirm that later that, yes, it's fun, but it's really not that great and not that consistent. But he's such a phenomenal player that he was able to carry it. And uh, we also saw that uh, with Joseph Ugarte got first. Congratulations to him. Uh, like Jumpluff, as a standalone Pokemon, is not great. But uh, with the utility that he needed on his team, it fit well with his team. And there's just consistently across the board, we saw that creativity with some meta splashed here and there uh, like we saw with the second place Ding Zi Shuo and uh Caleb Breyer who used just like talents right yeah and then in terms of like my most memorable matchup I guess I I didn't quite have like uh like a super memorable in terms of um like seeing like a crazy team or anything but there's uh there's a player a really really talented player named Darsh Patel <laughs> and we got to fight, I can't remember if it was at Charlotte or Knoxville. I think it was at Knoxville. And it was such an intense game. It was really, really fun. And we got matched up again at Portland. And so he won at Knoxville, and I won this time at Portland. And it came down to a game three where I had to uh, read his double protect. And then uh, my Palfin ended up ignoring his um, Iron Hands that had a sword stance up. So it could Thunder Punch my Palafin. But I ignored it, and then I just wave crashed his back's caliber instead. And then so that was really fun. Um, and then my game one, I actually didn't play. Uh, I was paired up against a player named Ben um, Emerzian, who's Zach Emerzian's brother. 
And unfortunately, he had some team sheet errors. And um, they were severe enough where it was a complete game loss for him. And I didn't really agree with that. But, you know, That's head so judge makes that decision. Yeah. So I guess those are just, like, initial thoughts. One of the interesting teams I wanted to bring up was uh, Peter Chen's team. Uh, it was the unburdened halucha team where he uh would set up uh where he would set up the psychic terrain with ndidi and then have the psychic seed on halucha and just made it so fast and he made it uh pretty far in the tournament he almost top cut i want to say um but yeah i just i love seeing those weird creative teams like that and Honestly, after Portland, now we've seen so much of a rise in Sun because of uh, because of Joe's team. Like you're seeing Sun everywhere now, and you're seeing because of uh, Nick because of Nick, we're seeing double. Uh, we're seeing the Snow teams rise again as well. So I, I just love how Portland and the West Coast kind of just flipped the meta on its head, and balance teams kind of just went out the window. Yeah, it was really wild. It's kind of cool how the meta's been a wheel, you know, watching it go from pala balance to balance to hyper offense to this really interesting, you know, wide array of different teams. Um, just so many different combinations. There's a lot of Trick Room teams that succeeded in Portland that I feel like Trick Room is a hard archetype to build upon right now and to play and to see trick room it was on stream what two different teams that made it to top cut with trick room so it was really impressive to see that yeah because it's been a while since we've seen a trick room reach top cut at any of the uh regionals i do agree trick room i think hard trick room is one of those things that it's definitely going to see a resurgence here pretty soon because we're seeing so many hyper offense tailwind teams coming back. And if, uh, if for example, if a team doesn't have like Tinglu, then Hard Trick Room really just does have a heyday and has a really strong advantage if they can get that Trick Room up. And sure, there's like Pokemon like Amoongus everywhere, but um, you know, it can spore. But like in terms of like Trick Room, that's about it, right? Like spore and Rage Powder. So I don't think it's like necessarily a huge threat if you have a Trick Room team, especially if you have something like Torkoal. And so speaking of how the meta has changed and everything, we've seen some interesting teams now pop up uh, over at Hartford, which is still currently going on. Uh, and they just reached their top, uh, top eight players. Do you guys have any uh, predictions as to who's going to be the uh, in the finals? Well, I don't know if this is necessarily a, a correct prediction based on any analysis, but I'd like to see Ryan Haig make it to finals because um, I'm moving to San Diego this weekend. He's from San Diego, so I'd like to see a fellow San Diegan win the tournament. <laughs> well, then you should root for me next time. <laughs> well, you don't live there anymore, so you don't count. <laughs> I don't know. I think Wolf uh, deserves a second second win of a regional this year like i i really feel like he deserves it he's done so much for the community especially especially in the past year um like helping new player bring more new players into the form into 
VGC and everything. I, I really think he deserves a second one. Plus, he's wearing his uh, really cool flamingo socks that he stopped the stream. <laughs> he interrupted Sierra Dawn live on stream and was like, don't stop the stream yet. I want to show everybody my flamingo socks. And that just, that really, like, broke me. It made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, we jumped right into talking about Portland. Um, would you like to give us a run back in, like, any other history in VGC and, like, how long you've been playing? Yeah, so I actually started playing competitive Pokemon back in Diamond and Pearl, like many others. And that's because, sorry, if you can hear my coffee maker. Um, that's because, uh, you know, Wi-Fi was available at that time. And you didn't have to buy that extra accessory for, like, the Game Boy Advance, for example. Excuse me. And so I started with singles, um, like many others again, and played an OU Smogon. And that's really been my entire competitive background up through sun and moon and then when i saw the trailer for sword and shield come around i was like you know they're they're adding all these features to make training pokemon so much easier how about i just give this a shot for vgc because i just didn't want to go through all the trouble of training a pokemon in game so that's why i stuck with showdown and then um yeah so i started in sword and shield with vgc and that was really great and then when the pandemic happened i I just kind of lost motivation and played other games. And then um, when Scarlet and Violet came around, I was like, you know, this is uh, this looks like a fun game. Maybe I'll get back into it. And I did. And uh, so here I am. Yeah. So do you think that like stepping away from Pokemon for that period of time, like helped you coming back into Scarlet and Violet with a fresh mind? Oh, absolutely. And that's that's not the first time I like took a break from Pokemon. Even like back when I played OU, I would it would be on and off. So the game comes out, I'll play a lot, and then I'll probably step away for three to six months, play some other games. And then, like, even this year, like, for Scarlet and Violet, I have, like, a list of games and other things I want to do in my life. Like, for example, for other people, for people who are, like, really into RPGs, you know, I'm playing Diablo 4 this year, Baldur Gates, Baldur's Gate 3. And then um, my coworkers convinced me to try Age of Empires 2. And so I think it's really important to kind of step away for a little bit here and there just to refresh your mind and reset. And uh, also just, you know, spend time with, like, friends and family and stuff, too, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's a huge part, you know, the kind of transition into our next topic here with, like, well-being and, like, taking care of ourselves in VGC, you know? Um, stepping away, like, some of us get that burnout, you know, just constantly team building and, like, prepping for regionals and internationals and... Just all the work, you know, Brian, we were talking about this the other day that comes with that, you know, once you start getting in that mode, really prepping for these tournaments, the amount of like prep work and study that goes into finding the synergies in your team, the weaknesses, doing the calcs against the matchups in the meta, and like making sure that you can survive the hits that you need to, it, it, it's very time consuming, it can be stressful, you know, taking the time out of your life or your work schedule to like make these things happen. It's almost like a second job. Yep. I remember listening to a live stream one time, and it was uh, Aaron Zhang and Gabby. And um, I believe Aaron was competing in Vancouver, and they were talking about how to practice efficiently while, uh, you know, juggling life, right? With a full-time job. And then some people have even have children. And that, I think, is the biggest challenge we're going to be continuing to face is <laughs> how, do we, how do we study? You know, we're studying competitive Pokemon effectively. So it's like taking a, a full-time class 
in addition to work, in addition to life, in addition to family, you know, and all those things combined. And yeah, that's why I think taking breaks is so important. Otherwise, the burnout is just going to catch up to you very quickly. Yeah. Uh, so something that kind of goes along with that, um, like, you know, the burnout and then like battling things that are going on in life and also trying to tackle the task of like team building and competing competitively in Pokemon um, we talked about earlier how all of us suffer from ADD or ADHD of some form. And, uh, you know, that's a t that's something that dealing with can also impact that. Uh, managing your task and staying focused and being able to, you know, if you can find the time to hyperfixate on your team. Um, Brian, how is there, is there ways that you deal with that and, like, ways that you can manage in your daily schedule or, you know, like some sort of list of things that you do that could help our listeners absolutely so uh before i go into that what i'd like to start off with is i just got diagnosed with adhd this year and um interestingly enough uh, i you know i'm asian I, asian american and stereotypically asian parents don't um treat mental health issues with uh you know that sense of urgency and it always stays in the background. You never really talk about it. And so that's that's where my uh, my mom's pretty interesting because she's a nurse and well, a retired nurse now. But she um, one time it was like I think it was last year. She kind of brought it up passively in the conversation. She's like, "Oh yeah, I think I have ADD." I was like, "Oh." So I kind of started thinking about it. And um, you know, I was like, "Okay, I probably have it, but whatever. I've lived this long without doing anything about it, so it's fine, right?" Not necessarily true. Um, you know, I've always struggled studying struggled um kind of maintaining relationships that's like a common adhd issue and um and then i really noticed it this year when i went to the san diego regionals in january there was a lot of people there that was my first big event you know after coming out of the pandemic and by round five i noticed that every time i got into another battle i couldn't think and so uh, by that point i realized okay i'm either overstimulated or my brain's already tired out or you know one of the above right like some, something like that and then so I realized, okay, I need to do something about this. So if if you're in that situation where you really think where, shoot, like, I, I think I need help. And, you know, you have to make time to go get help. And that's that's what I did. And then so afterwards, I started thinking about, all right, how do I actually uh, learn from this to help me become a better competitive player? Because at the end of the day, it is a deficit. It is a disorder that, you know, gives us a disadvantage. And so... First things first is uh, you make a to-do list every day. Because if you have a to-do list, you know exactly what you need to do. You don't have to think about it anymore. And then so that'll include things like waking up, washing up, making breakfast, work. And then what do you do after work? You know, sometimes it's working out and then dinner, spend time with family. And then you can do your competitive prep. And then you can schedule that out through the day. And if you do that first thing in the morning, or you can do it ahead of time, I've noticed that's helped me a lot. And that's why I try to schedule time with people so that I can intentionally be mindful about what I'm going to be doing for a certain period of time. And I've noticed that that's helped me a lot recently. So moving on now to a kind of a, it's a sensitive subject now because they kept, they changed their minds, but Pokemon Home was supposed to come out on the 24th <laughs> and then 
all of a sudden all the official pokemon accounts who i thought were official pokemon accounts uh all of a sudden were like never mind we were wrong I, right. I, I don't understand how they can get wrong like where they get the interns <laughs> yeah fire your interns <laughs> like, they got everybody's hopes up they even made the riddler wrong <laughs> yeah it's really wild i it i think the riddler may play something into that i don't know i mean it's speculation there's a lot to it but i feel like they're you know it was a like a weird mishap to happen because the date was right on his end and then they announced it to come out but then it you know all of a sudden it was wrong and they switched it so I think there may be something behind the fact that like TPC does not like their information being leaked early and I think like while there's like it's a good like advertisement cycle in allowing leaks to be out there in the way that Koo has been doing it it is also negative in the sense that you know people know things way before they should and I think that that affects not only the game itself and the experience of playing, but it affects the metagame. Because then people are able to adjust and start preparing for the metagame months before people who you know may not have that information accessible to them, they're not able to prepare until the game it's actually ready in the game. And I think that that's why they may be tackling some of those issues in this. Uh, but that's just my speculation on it. <laughs> well i mean with regulation c we knew almost a month beforehand like what it was gonna be and yet it hit off at fort wayne and people still like ran smack dab into that wall like they had no idea what they were doing <laughs> so like I, I feel like with some of the meta like it's okay but i i still feel like people are still until they get into that solid really competitive practice it they're still gonna crash and burn at first a little bit um, but on the subject of Pokemon Home, who knows when it's going to come out, uh, but who do you think, Brian, is going to be the three most impactful Pokemon? The three out? most impactful Pokemon. Alright, so I break this down into three different topics. The first one being like a Series 1 type of format. Uh, so no ruins, no, par no paradox, etc. And then the second one being... Uh, you do have your uh, Paradox and Ruins. Third one being Restricted Format. So, for a Series 1-like format, I would say... I haven't really thought about it that much, honestly. But what definitely comes to mind right away is Hisui and Gudra. Uh, because Dragon and Steel Typing is so good. Just because, like, Fairy Types are very powerful. And so, once you have that Steel Typing, now you can actually do something about them. So, that's the first one. The second one is Ursaluna. Premier Trick Room Sweeper, right? It's just going to be so powerful. Especially next to Bronzong, you could just, like, spam Earthquake. And then, once you're burned, Amoongus can't sleep you, which is, like, a Premier Trick Room counter. Um, third one... Um, third one, I'm actually not sure I would put it in one Pokemon, but there's, like, Samurott and Cleaver, where their moves do set up Spikes and Stealth Rock. And we've seen that with, like, Tinglu... And then the Dondozo yawns, forcing your opponent to switch their Pokemon out. And then they take the you know residual damage from Stealth Rocks, etc. And then you compare that with Flamora. So I think that could be interesting. I don't know how good it'll be. That's just kind of what comes up to mind. For... Yeah, I... Oh, go ahead. Uh, if I had to pick three, I would really be saying uh, Ursaluna, Hisui, and Gudra because of the steel typing. Like you said, Like I feel like that's going to really damage 
Fluttermane's, like, what is it? It was 70% usage at uh, Hartford. I feel like that's really going to damage its place uh, in the meta. And then, uh, just because I'm a huge fan, Hisuian Zoroark, being immune to so much, is, I feel like it's really going to step up. I know I'm going to use him. Uh, you could pair him with so many other things and just really, really... Basically, give your opponent ADHD. Essentially, <laughs> like they're gonna be, their mind's gonna be all over the place. Is that Zoroark? Is that Zoroark? It's, I can't wait to cause that chaos. Yeah, those mind games are not fun. I'm not looking forward to that mod. It's gonna be pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, so, <clears throat> on the next ones, if paradox mods are allowed. Uh, do you think that there will be, like, a format where it would be just Paradox with the standard mons? Or do you think that it would be, like, Paradox with a, an extended dex as well? I think it would be Paradox with an extended dex. And depending on what Pokemon are legal for VGC, we could see some pretty crazy things. So, picture Fluttermane with Landorus, T, and Incineroar. All of a sudden, all those physical attackers that take care of Fluttermane are no longer an issue, right? So, that that's kind of concerning to me, but at the same time, um, Incineroar, I think Incineroar and Landorus, T do offer a lot to keep some crazy physical attackers in check as well. I'm really not looking forward to Incineroar being back. <laughs> I am interested to see how Incineroar stands up with some of the mons that have been introduced in Scarlet and Violet. I feel like there are a few. Um, I I feel like Palafin, um, there's several water types and mons who have access to really good water moves in this generation that I think do threaten Incineroar slightly that, you know, aren't afraid as intimidates as hard. I think we have kind of shifted to a more like special attacking meta in a sense. While as like physical is still a huge threat, we are on like a kind of special side. Um, so I'm interested to see like where Incineroar would stand. And also the introduction of, you know, Okidogi and these three new Pokemon that I think, uh, you know, may have similar movesets. Just based off of like Pokemon designs in the past and like colors, themes, and like movesets for them, Okidogi probably falls somewhere close to Incineroar and what, you know, the same usage as Incineroar would get with maybe a different stat spread. So I am interested to see if maybe that is like, like a counterbalance to Incineroar even. Um, but I, there's a lot of interesting things that could happen with Home and the expansion of the DLC. You know, we may get new, outside of getting the new access to Home Mons, we may have access to new Mons in general. There could be all new Paradox Mons that we haven't seen yet in this new game along with regional forms we're going to two new regions so there could be specific pokemon to these regions that are regional forms so i don't you know i don't put it past game freak to kind of capitalize on this is a wide span until the next game comes out or like a wide gap until the next game comes out so i think that they could put you know more time and more new pokemon into it to make the meta interesting over this next what two to three years life cycle of scarlet and violet those are all very good points. And I didn't even actually consider the fact that we were getting new Pokemon. 
So a lot of my theories are actually kind of thrown out the window now, and I can't really make assumptions anymore, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what new Pokemon we get. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's really exciting too. I'm I'm really looking forward to the DLC. And some of the returning, um, some of my favorite mons, Whimsicott, Metagross. Um, I know it's not a VGC mon, but Zebstrika, I love that Pokemon. I'll replay Scarlet and Violet with Zebstrika just so I can have it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Uh, oh, go ahead, Brian. Okay. Um, there is this. Okay, so I was talking to Sam Cruz about this, and he loves to speculate and team build for future formats. And we're we're so excited. Well, he's very excited. I don't. I'm excited, but I'm also very scared of Urshifu's return. And uh, we no longer have Dynamax Pokemon, so there's no way to block their attacks unless you have something like Substitute or a Redirection attack. And uh, <laughs> that's going to be very uh, interesting with how um, you know Intimidate doesn't work on those uh, signature moves because they're always crits. Yes, oh, that's very uh, interesting to think about. I didn't even. And then safety goggles on one of them. <laughs> that's they're gonna be. I feel like Urshifu is gonna be pretty devastating to the meta. Honestly. The what's the typing on Urshifu's special moves? Is it one of them fighting and the other's water, or is it? Uh, dark and water. Dark and water. So you, there's not even like immunity that you could switch into besides like potentially storm drain. You could stop. But, like, sacrificing running a Storm Drain Mon. Oh, that's scary. Yep. That's and then, really so, scary. typically, Fluttermane would be your answer to an Urshifu, right? But we have Terrastalization now, so it's really just a simple Terra Steel. And then they could just throw on a Choice Scarf. And now your, your greatest check to those two Pokemon is kind of invalidated. And if it's not running, like, Booster Energy or, like, Tailwind, the Choice Scarf builds will outspeed them. Even if it's Sash, Water Urshifu hits three times, so it breaks the Sash, so, so it'll is, be interesting. Is Urshifu a mon? Do we know that Urshifu will, like, return yes. to the game? Yes. Oh, it will. And Regieleki, uh, which is another one I feel like is going to break them, uh, break it, because, uh... The double, even like, under... stab. Well, yeah, just, uh... On, you'd have to be, I think it's around 140 speed, under just to be under Tailwind and outspeed it. So it's it's gonna be, yeah, that's gonna be so devastating to all these slower, bulkier teams that have come out now. Yeah, and then Mons, some of the Paradox Mons are, you know, I feel like they may not stand up as well when Mons like that are introduced. While they're all very good, I think the balance of them with having lopsided stats may make them harder to use when you start seeing these restricted formats come in. Hey, people wanted more variety? Well, guess what? <laughs> variety is going to explode when if they let Pokemon from Pokemon Home come in. Like, we would see some of the coolest and craziest teams of all time, honestly. Yeah. So I'm going to move on to coaching here. Um, we had a topic that we wanted to talk about. Um, receiving coaching... Uh, how to get the most out of coaching and finding the right coach for yourself and how to apply the things that you learn from coaching. Um, I think Brian is a very good uh, person to talk to in this situation. Um, I've reached out to him myself for help with my teams. Um, Me too. I'm, 
yeah, I know Titan and a lot of our friend group has reached out to him at some time. Uh, so he's a very good person to like analyze all three of these questions here. All right. Um, so I, I, I do appreciate that you guys put me um, up there with, you know, being able to help you with your team building. That, that does mean a lot to me. But I have um, received coaching before. And I think because of how I've received coaching and how I've responded to it, I can, I've learned how to help others as well. And so I've, um, I'm a student of Paul Ruiz, a former world champion, and I've had one, two, three, four, seven, uh, about over 10 hours of coaching with him. And so typically when somebody first approaches coaching, they, uh, you know, and I, I know I thought this way at least, so maybe not everybody. But I know one way when uh, people approach coaching, they think to themselves, all right, what do I need help with? You know, how do I build a better team? How do I play better? Whatever, right? Super basic foundational things that every, every Pokemon player should be focusing on. And so the difficult part about that is every coach is different and every student learns differently. And every coach has a different teaching style. And so when you're getting the most out of coaching, you first have to ask yourself, um, you know, how many sessions of coaching am I willing to pay for? Because this is an investment. Uh, how seriously do you want to become a better player? And how much are you willing to invest in that? And that's a serious question because coaching is not cheap. Like, seriously, like, some of these, like, you look on Medify, like, oh my gosh, like, holy crap. If you're not working a full-time job, if you're still in college, like, this is, <laughs> this is a very high ask. And so I think you seriously have to ask yourself as an individual, how much do I want to invest in this? That's like number one, because one session is not going to cut it. You're not going to get anything out of one session, quite frankly. My first session with Paul Ruiz, I asked him super basic things like, hey, you know, I really want to prep for this next regional. And I've also noticed that I'm really bad at reading protects, blah, blah, blah. And then one of the most profound things he said to me is that, when it comes to reading protects, you have to ask yourself, do you want to read it or do you need to read it? Because sometimes it doesn't matter if you hit if you hit two attacks into a protect because you're in such a good position. And that was just from one session, but imagine how much more you can get from 10 or even five. And so I think that's the first thing you have to consider is to get the most out of coaching. You have to have multiple sessions with the same coach so that there's this uh, communication you can build, you can build the relationship with the coach and learn how to learn, and then the coach can learn how you learn. So, yeah, do no, you guys have thoughts on that? No, I think that's really good. Uh, you know, that's something that I, I struggle myself with with coaching. You know, like you said, it's working a full-time job and then trying to, like, pay for the amount for each session and then finding the time to fit a session into your schedule is hard enough you know let alone like coming up with all the money financially to pay for it um and at the coach may work the best for you you know like finding the, that right coach so it may be something that you have to put the money out and experience coaching through a couple people before you may you know find the right person that clicks for you i know myself i've went through you know, several coaching classes with different people in the VGC community. And there's some that I felt were helpful, but 
over a period of time, like there was like working with all these different people, I think that some some coaches have this mindset of like what works for them will work for someone else as well. And I think that finding a, a coach that can accept that you may be hard headed and have a play style that they may not agree with fully, but they can find a way to make it work for that player. I think that that's something, you know, that was a struggle for me. And I, you know, I reached out through friend groups and like the, the community all around. And it, it took a long time to find that right, you know, fit for me. Um, and it, it may be multiple people or a group of friends, you know, and then that one specific player that was a good coach that, you know, helped find the path. And then the group helps you, you know, refine everything. Um, but I think those were all great points, Brian. Thank you. All right, and then the next one, how to find the right coach. So yeah, you were just talking about this a little bit. Sometimes you get lucky and the first one works. Other times you, again, just got to cough up the cash and try different coaches. It's, I yeah. Yeah, I like to uh, kind of go for experience. So I went with Ray Rizzo for my first one. And now I've got one scheduled for with James Beck for next Friday. Like just taking that experience and trying to utilize that to try to see if it'll benefit me. Um, so I guess I guess we'll see after next Friday. Like if I get anything really impactful out of it, because uh, I know James does have a uh, he has a track record of changing of uh, training really good people he actually trained uh the world champion from last year so he coached him so he has a and he's qualified for worlds every year since like 2014 so he has a track record of doing well and staying consistent so i think that's a big part too you know is finding the coach like having those different experiences with all these different coaches and finding ways to mold the certain things that you like about someone's play style that you can mold into your own. Um, I think that that's very important, you know, because for everyone, everyone has a different approach to Pokemon, you know. We all play it differently and, like, think about it differently, you know. So I think finding that and then having the right approach, like Brian said, taking those steps that he noted to applying the information that you get, like finding the right coach and then using all this information from these different coaches and applying it to yourself and how it works for you. Yep. Yep. It, I think the, uh, bringing up the point of different experience levels for coaches is pretty interesting too, because if a newer player is working with a world champion, maybe it'll work out, but at the same time, if you don't know that electric moves are super effective against water moves, doesn't necessarily mean that's a great fit, right? Because that's an assumption that a coach might make. It's like, okay, this player should know this, right? Not necessarily. So, yeah, I think it's really cool. cool too that, you know, Titan, Brian, you know, myself, I think we're all kind of known for this. Like, we, we're not afraid to help our communities. You know, Brian, you're in Sam's server, and then Titan, you're in Sam's and mine as well. And I know that we've all been like, very open to like anyone who has asked us for help with their team we try to you know give them guidance um like adrian and his journey to becoming a professor i've helped him in any way that i could and he was someone who tried to dabble in vgc and that was like what got him into being a professor was learning 
he had to learn tight matchups, you know, immunities and things over the past year. And it, it took probably a year before he was at that point where he could compete, you know, and get to master tier. Um, and I don't think someone at that level, you know, seeking Ray Rizzo's help would be a good idea. Like you said, kind of like you said, Brian, um, not knowing those matchups and stuff, it's probably better to seek friends and someone, you know, more at like a, a standard level to find help from that can, you can get these like fundamentals from and then build upon that. Exactly. Yep. And then just really quick, um, how to apply what you've learned from coaching. I found that especially because I have ADHD, I have a tendency to you know, out of sight, out of mind. I think that's the best way to put it. If I, I uh, immediately after I'm done coaching, what I'll do the next day after a session is just immediately apply what I've learned into practice matches. And the, and I've noticed that the better quality matches I do, the better I retain the information. So what I mean by that, going into cart ladder, or going into showdown ladder really doesn't help. At least me. So what I'll do is I'll seek out best of threes with friends or strangers or whoever. And whether that's on showdown or cart doesn't matter, but actually doing open team sheet, taking quality notes, analyzing your rematches, saving recordings or replays, and then rereading my notes from the session. I've, I've noticed that's the best way I've retained information and actually apply myself with what I've learned. awesome so uh, we can wrap up here I, I do want to touch Brian before we finish up the day um, I would like to talk to you about locals um, it's a big topic in the community I think it's a huge thing that's going on right now um, how impactful do you think that locals are and are you competing at any oh yes uh, I compete in the LA locals and San Diego locals uh, I was just at LA last week and San Diego yesterday and they're they're very impactful i think and it's a great way and i mean impactful in the sense that you get to experience an in-person event and get those shakes out of your system because you know when you go to a big regional or any other big event it's like very nerve-wracking you're nervous you're shaking the first battle happens you're like oh my gosh like you can't really think straight the more locals you go to the more you get used to it and it just becomes second nature and the what i really think is much more important than that though is building a community i can't emphasize enough how important it is to regularly see people in person and that's how you make friends that's how you build connections and even just like in general life like people talk about oh you need to build a network you need to go be it's that's networking like seriously like you can network for your hobby that's totally valid um, just one example, I met uh, Josh Dank through LA Locals, and I've hired him as an intern. So, right? Like, there's so, there's, there's so many things that you can do, like, just consistently seeing people. And then one of my favorite quotes from That's a Plus One is, you don't have locals if you don't go to your locals, because you are part of that community. And so I think it's so important to get out of your way, you know, if you have time in your life, of course, is to actually attend, because then you're you're part of that. So, I think it's very important. All right. So next week's guest is going to be Roy VGC. He's a pretty new player to the community. 
Uh, if you are a VGC player and you're interested in being on the podcast, email us at pokevoltclub at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us, Brian, today. Yeah, Brian, thank you for being on. Thanks for having me. All right. Awesome.